One of the greatest joys of my year has been getting to know Jason and Monica. Will you guys stand up? We just want to greet you again. Welcome, you guys. So glad you're here. Actually, just Jason and Monica, but thank you, everybody. Proud of you. Proud of uh, how you're impacting not just your family, but so many uh, as well. It's awesome. And they're about to give birth in about two weeks, so pray for them. And if you feel called, they do have a registry at Target. <laughs> as, as young family, you always need extra stuff. Hi, everybody. Matt Doan here, one of our pastors. It's my joy to open up the scriptures here this morning as we continue our series called The Christmas Table. You saw Lauren refer to the table and, write, uh, and light the Advent wreath behind me today as she mentioned wonderfully that we're talking about peace and the peace that God provides us. Jesus is described 2,000 years before he's born as the Prince of Peace. And so our prayer today is that that just washes over you. That truth, that title of God just becomes even more real for all of us here today. So open your Bibles to the wonderful Old Testament book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. You go Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Son of Solomon, then you hit Isaiah. Right after that's Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, if that helps at all. As you turn there too, uh, in this theme of table, last weekend we invited uh, folks here at our church just to invite people into their home to be at their table. And I wanted to show you, we didn't get to capture every table, but we did capture some. Just some great Calvary folks getting together, inviting people into their home to share a meal together last weekend. And we just celebrate that. We celebrate being a family, brothers and sisters, this community. As Tim said, all over Orange County, we scatter during the week, but we gather every weekend and midweek to encourage one another. And these tables definitely did that. So thank you, thank you to all of our hosts. Thank you to those that signed up as well. It was very special. And so Isaiah chapter 9 Verse 6 is where we're going to go. One more thing, though, I wanted to show you before we dive into this passage. Marie, my wife, and I have just fallen in love with this video that went viral a couple weeks ago. Maybe you've already seen it. If you haven't, just enjoy the next minute. Watch on the screens. I'm a classic one. Classic role, is it? Classic part? Yeah. Um, Joseph? No. Uh... One of the three wise men? No. But it's a classic part? Yeah. Okay. Um, you tell me then. Cause... I'm door holder number three. I'll be holding doors. That's amazing. Holding doors for who? Um, probably um, Joseph and Mary. Oh, my gosh. Were you pleased when they said that? And I was like, I'm a door holder. Get in there. Let's go. <laughs> really? Yeah. Excellent. Wow, that's really smart, Milo. Isn't that good? Psalm 84, little does he know, actually references this. Psalm 84 says, it's better to be a door holder in the temple than to stand with the wicked. And so in many ways, as we talk about peace today, it's number one, just to receive the peace of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who really did come. But it's also, in a sense, to be a door holder. I'm door holder number three. Uh, to be a door, door holder to others, to invite them 
to meet as even Jason and Monica have been continually doing, to invite others, to open the door, to introduce people to this Prince of Peace. And my prayer even in this moment is to be a door holder for you. When I was in college, I worked at this really fancy hotel in Northern California. It was during like the dot-com boom. And so all these like very important to themselves people were coming through the door. And my job at this fancy hotel was to open the door. And then I would close it. And then I would open it. And so I'm going to open the door to God's word for all of us right now. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Put your finger right there and then look up at the screen. I want to show you first Isaiah uh, chapter 6, verse 1, before we get into 9-6. In Isaiah 6-1, it says this. It was in the year of King Uzziah that he died that I saw the Lord. This is Isaiah the prophet speaking. He has this heavenly vision. And he was sitting on a lofty throne. He's speaking about the he in here is God, Yahweh. And the train of his robe filled the temple. So in Isaiah 6, this is the calling of the prophet, the calling of his ministry to, to go and to proclaim this prince of peace. And it starts with this grand view of God. This is who God is. He's so majestic. He's so awesome. He's so powerful that, that look, as you gaze at him, the train of his robe fills the temple. Throughout the course of history, different artists have tried to depict this scene from Isaiah 6, and no one can really do it justice, but I did like this one. This now hangs in the Royal Art Museum in Madrid, Spain, and it's this motif of, of Isaiah cowering down and, and coming to this place of, of being in the presence and, and the glory of God. And if you keep reading Isaiah 6, it says that he eventually, he falls on his face and he says, woe to me, I'm a man of unclean lips. Like I should die in the presence of, of such majesty. And then as you continue reading, you see this calling of Isaiah the prophet that they say, that the angels tell him, get up and go and proclaim what you've just seen. And so Isaiah's calling begins with this grand view of God. And then we get to Isaiah 9 that you're in right now. And you see that this view of God now has a different aspect to it. Look what it says in Isaiah 9 verse 6. It says, for unto us a child is born, a son is given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So Isaiah has this huge vision of God. Whoa! And then a few chapters later, he sees God now as a baby, as a child. Isn't that incredible that this one prophet got the view of God really in both aspects? The majesty and the humility of who was to come. And so here's Isaiah, inspired by the Holy Spirit, prophetically saying that this child will come as a gift to us. And this is what his attributes will be. The government will rest on his shoulders. Now, this is not just talking about Capitol Hill or Sacramento. It really has a large, much bigger scale. It's like you could almost substitute the, world, the word world for government. 
that the world rests on his shoulders. Do you ever feel, are you ever tempted to feel like the world rests on your shoulders? It doesn't. Isaiah 9 reminds us that the world rests on God's shoulders. We as a family were talking through this passage a couple nights ago, and my daughter Lily goes, yeah, this actually reminds me that in the Old Testament, they would carry the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, and they would carry it on the shoulders, the shoulder, the shoulders <laughs> of men. And so in a sense, I was like, wow, that Bible education's paying off one semester in. This is great. But in a sense, what's saying here is that the presence of God is fully on Jesus, that he is the God-man, that the world, the government rests on his shoulders. The nations of the world rest on his shoulders, but he's just a little baby. But oh, he would be so much even more. And then it says that he will be a wonderful counselor. This wonderful counselor, can you imagine having the Messiah counsel you? He would never misunderstand you. He would never stop listening to you. He would never give you the advice that he had given the client an hour before. <laughs> It'd be so personal and merciful and accurate to what you need. This is the Messiah, the wonderful counselor. And then the mighty God, I, I wonder as Isaiah is even saying this, he's reflecting back to his calling in Isaiah 6. The mighty, the majestic God and the everlasting father this child is called. Now, not to confuse the father, God the father, this is more of an attribute of the Messiah to come, that he would be a comforter, a protector of people like a perfect father, like a good father. This Messiah would, would have this. And then ultimately the Prince of Peace. Here's another wonderful painting called The Visit of the Shepherds. This hangs in Cologne, Germany here today. And you can just see that all of Isaiah 9 fulfilled in this baby born in this little town to this little family 2,000 plus years ago. And this little child would have these attributes, these incredible attributes of, of wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Don't you need that this morning? A couple of weekends ago, we had some friends here from church invite us to go see Handel's Messiah at the Segerstrom Concert Hall. Have you been there before? There's kind of two major buildings there. This is like, I guess, the new or maybe smaller venue. And it's incredible. If you've ever walked in there, you can see the photo. It sort of does it justice. There's seven floors or seven balconies that surround that main seating area. And you can sit in the round. And if you're not familiar with Handel's Messiah, Handel wrote this, uh, boy, a couple hundred years ago. And it's all scripture. It's 40 songs and all the lyrics of the songs are just scripture. And it's done like in the Baroque style, which is like the, like not, not necessarily like any of our styles. Oh, you want me to keep going? Is that good? <laughs> I always wanted to be up here. Um, but it's, it's done the Baroque style, so it's not like 
always like something that's like pleasing, at least from my non-trained ear. But it's incredible. In Orange County, in a secular music hall, two hours of straight scripture. And I love that at Christmas, the gospel just shows up in really amazing ways, huh? You're shopping at the mall and you just hear gospel songs being sung. There's plays that are done even in public elementary schools that that mention the name of Jesus. And you have things like Handel's Messiah that that are done in public spaces. But one thing in particular that really hit me about this performance is when the song came to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And the conductor, uh, as we read, was from Cuba. She's like a young woman from Cuba, like has an amazing backstory. And she's leading the music. And, and where we were seating, seated, we had this really unique view. We were not um, behind her. Like usually you see the conductor like this, right? We were actually behind the choir. And so we could see the conductor straight on. And as she got to this point of Isaiah 9-6, she got to the point where it describes these four attributes of God. And she goes, I can't even do it justice, but I'm just going to even kind of try. She's like, wonderful, counselor, almighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Like, I was like, it was just like the most incredible moment. And I just started crying. It's like, here we are at Segerstrom. And these attributes of the Messiah are being declared. And I'm watching this Cuban conductor just with her whole heart and whole body language just proclaim these truths about the Messiah. I was like, whoa. This is our God. Maybe you're not going to conduct a symphony, but you are going to conduct a life. And can your life ring out these attributes of the Messiah? Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The word Prince of Peace in the Hebrew means, uh, the Hebrew term is Sar Shalom. And I want to expand our view, our thinking on the word Prince, because Uh, When you think of Prince, maybe just a musician, but you also maybe think of like modern day like Prince Harry or Prince William. Uh, You think maybe more of like a kind of honorary title. Or even we kind of think of a prince of being like an associate or under the king. But when Isaiah describes the prince of peace in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, It's more than an underling to the king, a king in waiting. It's more than a guy who lives in Montecito. What this is describing is a military term for prince. As you can see on the screen, it can mean chief or ruler or official or captain or overseer or commander. And then that second word, peace. Hebrew word shalom. Which doesn't mean just like peace, give peace a chance. It means completeness, fullness. What was once disjointed is now brought back together. And so put these two words together and the Messiah to come by Isaiah was pronounced 
as the captain of wholeness. The guardian, the commander of peace. Meaning that when the prince of peace came into our world, he had full authority to hand out peace. Isn't that good? This is our Jesus. This is the prince of peace. The commander of shalom. This is what Jesus came to do. And there's three aspects I see, and I'm going to go kind of fast over them. Maybe you've heard these before, but they're so great to be reminded of in this Advent season. Advent is all about reminding ourselves and reflecting on this wonderful known truth. The Prince of Peace came to do this, came to bring, bring peace between God and sinners. If you're in Isaiah 9, now quickly flip over into the New Testament to Colossians chapter 1. Look at verse 20 of Colossians 1. It goes Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians 1.20, I'm reading from the NLT here. And it says this. Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. I'll put it on the screen too. And through him, that him there is the Messiah, the one that Isaiah talked about in chapter 9, verse 6, it's Jesus. Through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace, shalom, with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Great reminder, or maybe this is even fresh news if uh, you're visiting with us today, is that all are like sheep have fallen astray. We've all wandered and done our own thing. When God said, go this way, we went that way. When God said, do this, we did that. It's called sin. Thinking that we know more, better than God. Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the consequence of that is pretty deep. The consequence is not just to sit and time out for five minutes. The consequence is not just to say 20 Hail Marys. The consequence of being a sinner, which we all are, is eternal punishment, is death, is hell, is separation from God forever. We are dead people walking apart from Jesus Christ. We may be alive here today, but we are dead eternally without coming to a saving relationship with Jesus. But God, in our brokenness, while we were yet sinners, demonstrated his love for us. That while we were yet sinners, he came and he died for us. So that his blood could take the place of our blood. His sacrifice could take the place of our judgment. And the Bible says throughout the New Testament that whoever believes in Jesus Christ, whoever places their faith in Christ, will be saved made new, given a new heart, given the Holy Spirit, and reconciled to a holy God. That is the ultimate peace that all of us are craving and need. Do you have that peace? As you sit here, December 17th, 2023, do you have, do you know that you have peace with God through trusting in Jesus Christ? If you're like, I think I'm 80% sure, I think I'm 90, 
maybe 98. Let today be the day. Say, Jesus, I acknowledge you. You're the Savior that I need. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. I trust in you. Leader, Lord of my life, today is the day I make that decision. And you can know whoever has the Son has life. You have eternal life, free from hell. Your name is written in the book of life, forgiven from sin once and for all. You can have peace with God in this very moment, on this very day. It's incredible. My friend Bill Shaw is sitting right there. It was 48 years ago, 49, 49 years ago that you became a Christian tomorrow. That's awesome. So cool. Bill made that decision that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finally not be alienated from God anymore as a sinner to a holy God. I'm going to trust in Jesus to forgive me of my sins. And he's been walking with Jesus over these four decades, five decades. It's awesome. So that's the first thing that Jesus does is he gives us peace with a holy God. Again, Colossians 1.20, such a good verse. Circle this, write this down, put it in a place that you'll just know it. And I love the Christmas hymns. Again, these are sung even at places like Target. Hark the herald, angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. God and sinners, what's it say? Reconciled. That's the gospel right there. In this classic hymn, Jesus, the Messiah, now unto us a child is born. The Prince of Peace brings us ultimate peace. Do you have that peace? Let today be the day. Let's go. <laughs> Don't hold a number three. Let's go. Enter in. And then out of that, out of a relationship with Jesus Christ, in our hurried and worried life, we find peace. I was just looking up some stats as pastors do when they're preparing a sermon. And I was looking at just, okay, in different age groups, what are some of the percentages? The, uh, what, what's some of the things that research has shown about our world right now? And I don't have to convince anyone of this. I can just kind of tell you what's obvious. I'm not sure how people got paid to do this research. But one research uh, paper I looked up said, newsflash, the modern young family is hurried. <laughs> oh, way to, get, way to get all your funding for that. But it's true, isn't it? Here in Orange County, both parents work if you're a young family. You got daycare, swim lessons, travel, travel sports, dance class, two to three vacations a year if you're lucky, eating out, fundraisers, holiday concerts, and then also daily chores, maintaining your home and your cars, getting groceries, meal prep. The modern family is so hurried, so hurried, so busy. Research also shows that senior citizens are more worried than ever before. That stats show that anxiety among people over the age of 65 has skyrocketed in the last decade. What's interesting in all of our anxiety studies 
So you start noticing when the spike happened and when the smartphone was introduced. I don't know. It's just kind of a, it's an interesting observation. But all stats show us that senior citizens are more worried than they've ever been before in any generation. So we have young families that are more hurried. We have older people who are more worried. And then we have our teens who are both worried and hurried. Stats show that one in three teenagers is dealing not just with mild anxiety, but chronic anxiety, meaning every time they wake up, everywhere they go, they have a level of anxiety in their lives. And stats show that our teens are so much more busier than generations before as they're pulled and pushed to all different places. Make sure your preschool grades are good. The colleges are looking at these. (laughs) So we're a culture, right, that's more worried and hurried than maybe ever in history. Here's the antidote. It's the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. John 16, 33. Jesus says these words in the upper room before he goes to the cross. This is pre-crucifixion. He gives us encouragement to his disciples knowing they're going to be going through all kinds of hard things. He says this, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you'll have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now notice, Jesus is not promising them ease of life, just everything's going to be comfortable as you pursue me. No, he's saying in this world you're going to have hurry and worry, but in me you have peace. I have overcome the world. And then interesting to note, that's John 16, 33. Then you skip ahead a few chapters to John 20, verse 19. These are the first words of Jesus when he sees the disciples post-resurrection. So John 16, one of his last words to the disciples, John 20 one of his first words to the disciples post-resurrection. Look at his very first words out of his mouth. John 20, 19 says this. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. And he said, what's he say? Let's say it together. Peace be with you. Wow. Pre-crucifixion, trust in me. I give you peace in the midst of sorrows and trials. Post-resurrection, peace be with you. The prince of peace, the one who has authority, the captain of shalom is offering us this peace. Peace with God, peace in our hurries and our worries. And then one more category, This idea of the Prince of Peace brings peace into fractured relationships. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul's writing about this Gentile and Jewish tension. And he brings up this encouraging note. He says, through Jesus, through the child to be born, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He's united Jews and Gentiles into one people, In his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Again, when Jesus died on the cross, rose again, 
He was creating an opportunity for us to have peace with the holy God as sinners, and he was giving us the opportunity to have peace with one another. James also writes about this, probably the half-brother of Jesus, got to watch Jesus' ministry, became a leader in the early church. In James chapter 3, 17, 18, look at the screens. It says, but the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. The United Nations has these bases throughout the world, and they put these bases in areas of conflict. And they call the people who come to these bases in these areas of conflict, they call them peacekeepers. And that's really all these United Nations workers and soldiers can do. They can attempt to, to keep the peace in these conflict zones. Christians, followers of the Prince of Peace, we're not called just to be peacekeepers. We are actually, as James said, called to be peacemakers. Isn't that amazing? Not just kind of holding things together but actually advancing to be agents of peace. I always wanted to be an FBI agent. <laughs> Some of you in the same boat. Marie and I actually, we were waiting in a parking lot one time for family members, it was a couple years ago. We started talking to this guy and he reveals kind of with no context, he goes, yeah, I'm an FBI agent. And I had two thoughts go through my mind. My first thought was like, you're not an FBI agent. FBI agents would never say they're an FBI agent. Like you're, like, they would say they're an accountant or a banker, so that's obviously not you. My second thought right after that was, oh, we're about to get arrested for something we've never done before. <laughs> then he gave us his card, and it said his name, FBI agent, Southern California. Like, whoa. So if you need an FBI agent, I got you right here. We have a card, too, as Christians, if you can kind of go with me in this. We have a peacemaker card. My name is Matt. I'm a follower of Jesus. I've been called to be an agent of peace, to be not just a peacekeeper but a peacemaker because I've experienced peace with the holy God even when I was a sinner. I placed my faith in Jesus. I experienced this peace, and I have this peace that rules my heart, as Philippians says. Based on the Holy Spirit's power, I can have peace even in the midst of trials and sorrows. And so let's bring this home. Peace at the table this Christmas. This is, you know, we all have our expectations of what Christmas tables will look like. But maybe your reality is different. Maybe as you approach the Christmas table here this next week, there's some areas at this table where you're not feeling peace. Maybe at your Christmas table this year, there's going to be someone that's missing this year. And there's just going to be a sense of loss and sorrow that that person's not at your table. Maybe it's the opposite. Maybe you don't have peace at the table this year because of not someone who's missing, but someone who will be there. <laughs> Maybe as you set your Christmas table, it just doesn't quite match the expectations that you have in your mind. 
I want to challenge us and invite us to let the Prince of Peace meet us at the table over the next week and as we even prepare for the next year. The God of peace has come into our world. He really has. It really happened. Let me read this wonderful passage, and this will be our prayer this morning. Romans chapter 5. It's actually the verse of the day on version if you have that app today. Romans 15, I should say, says it like this. 1513, it's a typo there. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. And then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we are people that honestly struggle with peace, both collectively as a, as a world. Lord, you know, 35 different wars happening in Africa right now. There's just so many places of conflict and chaos and violence in our world. And then in our own little worlds, God, even by some of our own self-doing, Lord, we've created disunity, brokenness, and even our own hearts. There's a sense of anxiousness and a lack of peace, even as followers of you, Lord. I just confess that. God, would you allow our eyes to once again be transfixed on you, the Prince of Peace, the Captain of Shalom, the guardians of our minds and our hearts and our souls. God, thank you for sending the child, the Prince of Peace, to change everything. Jesus, change us once again. Give us peace. Amen.